Am I on? I am on. Perfect. It's good to see everyone here this morning, even on such a cold, I mean, I guess compared to what we have coming, it's not super cold, but compared to what we've had, such a cold, snowy day, it is good to, to be gathered here with all of you as we, as we look at this exciting chapter in the Bible and we look at faith, such an important part of what we believe. In the 1987 cult film, The Princess Bride, a band of outlaws hired by the prince attempt to kidnap a woman named Buttercup. However, uh, despite their best laid plans, nothing goes right and things go south pretty quickly. Every time that one of their plans falls apart and everything goes to pieces before their eyes, their leader utters the phrase, inconceivable. And in response, his fellow outlaws look at him and say, I don't think you know what that word means. The past month or two, uh, we've been talking about our faithful God. In the process of encountering a God who is present and near to us, even when life is uncertain and challenging, we've been tossing this one word around a lot, faith. And yet, I have to wonder if we fully know what this word means. Faith isn't an unfamiliar word to us. We probably use it in our conversations every single day. Uh, Perhaps those of us who have coached uh, youth sports might have had a situation where you're, you're coaching league baseball and as you place a bat into the hands of a timid child, you say, I have faith in you before you send them up to the plate. Maybe you find yourself at work and you're pitching a new idea to your coworkers and you're being met with doubt and uncertainty and you say, just have a little faith. I know what I'm talking about. Church-related settings, we use this word all the time. The last song that we sang, it is well. Uh, the final verse says, Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight. But do we actually know what this word means? If I would take a poll of us as a congregation this morning, which I don't have time because I only have 20 minutes, and I would ask you, what does the word faith mean? I would probably get a lot of different answers. Some of us might talk about faith in reference to what they believe about Jesus. Some of us might talk about how we came to know Jesus, perhaps through our upbringing or through a radical encounter with God. Still others might talk about their faith in reference to what they believe about the future, what God has in store for his people. We would probably get a lot of different answers, and yet I don't know if we would create one coherent definition for the word faith together. In the New Testament, we commonly find two words that are translated as faith. The first word, which is the word used for faith in Greek 11, in Greek, oh my word, Hebrews 11, they're both biblical languages. In Hebrews 11 is the Greek word pistis. I haven't found the book of Greek in the Bible yet either. Uh, In Bible times, people use this word pistis in everyday conversation to talk about something as a guarantee or as a warranty. So perhaps we can picture a merchant at a market and they're selling some fine clothing to a customer and they give their guarantee that the silk has come from the finest parts of the empire. In the Bible, uh, when, when faith is used in this way, it is referring primarily to God's action in relation to humanity. It refers to, to God's promises and God's guarantee of things that we can't see. Uh, so these are the promises that God makes to humans about the life to come in heaven and promises of things that are yet to come here on earth as well. 
Even though pistis refers mostly to God's action, there's still a part for humans to play. A God doesn't give us this faith or this guarantee just simply as a nice gift that we can hold or as a memento that we can look at from time to time. God gives us his faith hoping for a response. God reveals himself to us and makes promises to us in order that we might find hope and we might open our eyes to see the world through God's reality. This word for faith is behind all the actions that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. The second word for faith, which we don't find in Hebrews 11, but is prevalent in the New Testament, is the Greek word pistuo. Unlike pistis, pistuo is concerned with the human response and a human action. By definition, this word means to trust or believe something with the implication that actions may follow. When we take this word in the context of the Christian faith, it means to trust something so completely that you are willing to commit all of your being to it and even maybe give your life for it. So when these two words come together, we start to see a powerful, dynamic faith that can move mountains. This is a life-altering type of faith. This is far more encompassing than simply uh, believing or understanding. It calls us to give all of ourselves to something that is greater than ourselves. It is infinitely more powerful than simply understanding or believing. For example, I fully understand that two plus two equals four, but I personally have no interest in committing my life to that. I trust that the Philadelphia 76ers, my favorite basketball team, will win a championship one of these years, but I'm not about to risk my life for that belief for multiple reasons. I, I understand and I have belief in these things, but at the end of the day, these are simply facts or they're trivial thoughts. These aren't things that most of us will, will base our lives around. But when we have God's faithful promises and they're met by a powerful, self-giving human response, the radical faith that we find in Hebrews 11 bursts forth. Uh, this is the radical faith that leads God's people to build boats in the desert. It leads God's people to give up lives of royalty. It leads God's people to march around the walls of a city with the hope that their walking will collapse stone structures. Inspired by a hope that they just can't shake, God's people do unprecedented and extraordinary things. I think it's really easy for us to get excited when we read Hebrews 11. When we see these stories, we realize that there's nothing that God's people can't do. God's people are unfazed. God's people are injured. God's people are courageous in the face of remarkable danger. But I think it's also easy when we read Hebrews 11 to get a bit discouraged. We look at our lives that are composed of 40-hour work weeks behind a desk and endless trips in the minivan to, to pick our kids up, and we say, where's the extraordinary faith in my life? I haven't shut the mouths of lions or quenched any raging fires recently. I don't know if I'm capable of these things. Maybe my faith is weak. As we look at Hebrews 11 this morning, it's important to remember that faith is primarily God's action. Humans play a role. We have a response. But God is the initiator. In Hebrews 11, the Bible's faith chapter, God is the main character. Woven in the fabric of each short story is the action of God making promises to willing people. God intervening in human history 
and God proving himself to be faithful. The human characters that we read about all do incredible things, but at their core, they're just ordinary people. Shepherds, outlaws, prostitutes, and kings are all commended together because of their willingness to trust God at his word. The only thing that sets them apart from their friends and their neighbors is their availability. They weren't classified as faithful because they heard God's promises. They, were, they weren't classified as faithful because they did big or brave things. They were faithful because they heard God's promises, found God trustworthy, and chose to act on their belief that God was telling the truth. Behind these extraordinary actions done out of faith is a faithful God, selecting the unsuspecting and empowering them for more. But I think the question for us this morning is, what drives these normal people to trust God and respond in extraordinary ways? The author of Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What this tells us is that faithful behavior is driven by a profound belief that God has promised something indescribable to his people. And this belief in something greater than ourselves can sustain and empower people even through incredibly difficult circumstances. The book of Hebrews, as we have it, was written to a group of people who had been through the ringer. Now, there's so much that's unknown about this book, so we don't know exactly who these people were or when it was written, but based on the language, language we see throughout the book, we can infer that the audience is a group of people who have endured persecution and trials. Some of them have been tortured or suffered for their belief in Christ, and in spite of this opposition, they press on. They don't do this because they have the power to do so, but because they have encountered God, and his promises are too good to abandon. This hope that drives them to do extraordinary things is the hope that God is doing a new thing in the world and will one day restore everything to perfection. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, John describes a beautiful picture of what this heaven will look like. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This here is the hope and the promise which leads people to welcome enemy spies into their houses at the risk of their own life. This is the hope and the promise which leads people to leave their home, to wander in a foreign land and live in tents. This is the hope and the promise which leads people to abandon their human instinct for safety, for preservation, and for comfort. And it is from God. If faith was built on anything else, Moses would have stayed in Pharaoh's house 
rather than giving up everything to risk life in the desert with a bunch of nomads. Faith like this looks forward for what is yet to come. But as the infomercial people say, there's more. The author of Hebrews also tells us that faith is the conviction of things not seen. Faith is more than just anticipating what's ahead. Faith also learns how to see the things in front of us for what they really are. As we live the life of faith through encountering God and anticipating the future, God also reveals to us how things really are in the world. As Anabaptists, part of the Mennonite Brethren denomination, we believe that Jesus is the truest revelation of God. We believe that we can see God most clearly through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It is through Jesus that God has revealed to us how things really are. Through Jesus, God shows us how to truly live. The thing about this revelation, though, is that Jesus' way doesn't always completely agree with the world's way. The world tells us that we should kill our enemies, but Jesus tells us that we should turn our cheek and we should love our enemies. The world tells us that money and power should be accumulated at all costs. Jesus tells us that money should never be our master and that we should seek to serve others rather than to be served ourselves. In the life of faith, we soon learn that God's kingdom, which is mainly invisible, operates on a completely different system than the world. God's kingdom marches to the beat of a different drummer. And so when we as Christians follow God in faith, our lives look different because we live in God's reality, the true reality, rather than the world's reality. When we do this, we join in the chorus of the faithful in Hebrews chapter 11. The weak, the poor, and the nomads who all chose to live by God's values instead of the world. We join the chorus of those who have listened attentively for God's voice, looked for God's presence, and acted in faith on those convictions. Driven by God's promises and God's reality, we discover that faith is God's work, and we're invited to be a part of it. But if we want to fully understand faith, I think we need to experience it too. We, we can come to the church and we can listen to endless sermons about God's hope or we can participate in weeks of adult Sunday school lessons about God's reality. But until we take action and experience it, we can't fully grasp faith. Faith leads us into deeper relationship with God and it calls us into deeper obedience with God. A faith creates more faith. Last week, I was talking with my younger brother, and he told me a story from his life that demonstrates the idea of faith creating more faith, that as we listen to God and act out of obedience, it creates more faith. Uh, recently, my brother made a decision to get baptized for a second time. When he got baptized for the first time, he was 11 years old and didn't really know what he was getting himself into. As he grew up and became an adult, his commitment to the church remained strong, but this reality began to bother him more and more. He felt the voice of God telling him that he should get baptized again, and he felt cut to the heart about it, but he resisted for years. Finally, he responded to God's voice, and he got baptized for a second time. Incredibly enough, after he got rebaptized, God began to put other things on his heart. God said, You should also do this. You should do this. And God revealed to him other things that he should do. 
The point of getting baptized again wasn't so much a theological or a salvific thing. It was God's way of building faith and preparing him to be faithful with even bigger things. I think the same principle is true for us today. As God reveals his faithfulness to us and we respond, our obedience builds faith and trust. Back in the spring uh, here at church, we had a sermon series on hearing God's voice. We learned about how do we as Christians discern God's voice in a world that is polarized and distracted. One thing that really stuck out to me during that sermon series was the idea that we learn to hear God by building familiarity with God. That is, the more that we spend time with God, the clearer God's voice becomes. I think that it's the same with faith. We learn to hear God's voice and act on what we hear, and by doing so, we build more faith. We learn to be more faithful by acting out of faith. The people that we read about in Hebrews uh, that Richard described earlier as Christianity's hall of faith, they lived lives full of obedience to God's revelation, and, and they're commended for doing big and important things in Hebrews. But I'm guessing that before they did the big things that we know them for, that they were also probably faithful in the little things as well. We hear about Abel's boldness in bringing a sacrifice to God even though it cost him his life. But I would be willing to bet that his boldness came from a life of acting faithfully. We read about Noah's construction of the ark. That's the biggest thing we know about Noah. But God picked him because he was righteous. The Bible doesn't tell us why he was considered righteous, but I'm fairly confident that Noah was considered righteous because earlier in his life he made smaller decisions that prepared him for bigger things. The challenge for us this morning as a congregation is the same. As we continue to learn and encounter our faithful God, we need to be people who earnestly listen for God's voice and choose to act on it when we hear it, knowing that God is the main character in this story and, and we're just privileged to be a part of it. And so if we get discouraged by Hebrews this morning and we say, I could never have that much faith, I want to make sure that we know that our task isn't to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Our task isn't to wander around in goatskins and sheepskins. Our task is to hear God and to act obediently in response. Maybe this morning we hear God saying, hey, there's someone in your life that you need to ask forgiveness from. And we say, God, I don't really want to do that. That would require so much humility. I don't really want to do that. But maybe, maybe, God is preparing you to be a humble person living in right relationship with others. Maybe we hear God saying, hey, you have that coworker that no one talks to. You should try to befriend them. And we say, God, I, I really don't want to do that. That's just too hard, and, and I'm kind of afraid of what people might think. But maybe God is preparing you to be a welcoming person who extends hospitality and the kingdom to others. When we respond in obedience, God continues to shape and prepare us to be used for his purposes in powerful and unprecedented ways. We just need to have faith. Recently, I heard a story about a father and a son in London, England during World War II. One evening, as the Nazi planes blitzkrieg the city and rained bombs, the father was holding the hand of his small son and they ran out from a building that had just been bombed. In the front yard, they saw a big hole where a shell had landed, and the father decided to jump in the hole to seek shelter. 
So he hopped in and he held up his arms to indicate to his son to follow. But the son was terrified. He cried down to his father, I can't see you. The father looked up against the sky that was tinted red by burning buildings and he called to the silhouette of his son, but I can see you. Jump. The boy jumped because he trusted his father. I worry sometimes that in our affluent and self-sufficient culture, we have lost our ability to trust others. And yet the faith that God calls us to leans not on our own understanding, but on God. May we as a congregation continue to listen to God's voice and follow his prompting so that we can be a people shaped by faith, obedient and hopeful for what is yet to come. May we live as a people confident in what we hope for and assured in what we do not see. Let's pray. God, this morning as we come before you and we look at faith, our prayer is simple and short. We simply pray the words of the disciples in the Gospel of Luke. Lord, increase our faith. Make us more obedient to you so that you can use us. Amen.